And so the story begins with a beautiful, heavenly butterfly named Hallie Grace. Butterflies represent colors, joy, and change. And this story has it all. Hallie Grace was born with a rare genetic connective tissue disorder called junctional epidermolysis bullosa. EB is often called the worst disease you've never heard of. Although her earthly trip was short, her journey continues to fly high. Honey butterfly Welcome to the Grace, Grief, and Grit podcast. I'm Dee Daniels, and we've got some very special guests here on this episode, and very excited to have Ann Davis join me on this episode. And Ann, this is going to be one of those lean-in conversations that we always talk about having, um, that we always want to have here on this podcast, you know, just talking about some of the thing, the harder things and, and how we manage them and cope with them. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to welcome our guest and our, our guest is Jessica Carenti. She's, uh, with kids grief support, certified child life specialist and an author. She's got two books that we're going to be uh, chatting about too, but, uh, and talk a little bit about kind of the why behind this episode and, and why we want to introduce this conversation and our great guest today. Sure. I am so excited about this episode personally as well. Jessica, I've kind of talked to you about this behind the scenes, and that's actually why I reached out to you. Um, I think for us, we've mentioned this in a couple other episodes, but obviously our family includes other living children. And um, when you lose a child, I think oftentimes society doesn't necessarily always think about those children. Sometimes there's those thoughts that you hear about, you know, oh, thank goodness they're so young or mm -hmm. they won't remember this or they don't understand this or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and as I mentioned before, I was actually that child myself as a kid. And now Brielle, my oldest is that child. And I'm sure Evan, as he gets older and hears about his sister will also have questions and things that he'll want to talk about. And so for me personally, it's a very, very personal issue that I want to make sure these kids are included and remembered and talked about and that society has a better idea of how to address them and include them and make sure that they don't feel left out or forgotten. And so I actually found Jessica's account on Instagram and I loved the content I was seeing and I just thought it was so important. And so I reached out and I was incredibly happy when she said that she would be on today. So Jessica, we are so excited to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat. It's, uh, you know, I, I always love these conversations and it sounds like a funny thing to say, like, I love having conversations about grief and death, but at the same time, like these are so, these conversations are so needed and it helps anybody who is listening. It helps, you know, validate what they're going through. It helps give them some support and some tools to work through these big, heavy topics. And it just, you know, makes society a little bit more aware of how to be, grief literate and supportive of people's grief journeys. So I am always excited to talk about this, which again, I know sounds kind of wild to most people, but it's, it's important to talk about. Yeah. I'm sure it's rewarding, right? Like you're able to spread such an important message to so many people that, um, I think honestly, just oftentimes don't even know what to do. It's kind of like grief yeah. in general, except like on a, you know, very specific, scale. And I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding there. So I would imagine that it feels really good to be able to have that conversation and get that knowledge out there. Yeah. Just having, having some tangible ways to support grieving children. I mean, there, some of those things that you said in the beginning with, um, you know, thank goodness they're so young, they're never going to remember this. That's, that's not actually what happens. Um, right. so just being able to have a conversation of, well, what, what is it actually like? And what, because unless you've gone through an experience like this, you have no idea really. And, you know, you want to fix things and you want to make things better, but it doesn't get any easier by hearing things that fall flat The you know, hearing these platitudes that you're like, well, yeah, they're really out of touch with what's actually going on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's helpful to, 
you know, have those tangibles of like, what can I say? What can I do? How how do we help a, you know, a friend, a family member through something like this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you actually posted something the other day and I commented on, I'm pretty sure about like, specifically how, how people say these things to kids about like, oh, they won't understand. And I just have to say, like, as a kid who heard that, um, that actually created more anger in me as a child yeah. than losing my own brother did. Um, I was obviously very angry for a lot of reasons, but at the age of seven to hear, oh, she doesn't understand when I really did understand, mm-hmm. I felt so neglected and so forgotten and, um, like unimportant and, and devalued. Mm-hmm. And that really created a lot of issue for me yeah. as I aged. Um, yeah, I, I imagine like the little girl inside of you was yeah. either actually or wanting to scream like, yes, I do. I yes. do understand. And you guys just aren't listening. Yes, that's yeah. I didn't feel heard. And I feel like for the rest of my life, I've kind of had that issue of like being triggered if I don't feel heard because as a kid, it started there. And so yeah. as a parent now with a kid who is going through this um, which is obviously the one thing I never would have wanted her yeah. to experience. Um, I want to make sure I don't make that same mistake. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the main reasons that we wanted to have you on here because I don't want to make that mistake. And I want to help make sure other parents don't feel that they are making that mis- mistake either. And that we do have those tangible things to do because even as a psychologist, like I told you earlier, like I work with adults, this isn't my mm-hmm. area. and you know, I'm so personally connected to it that like, I can be a little bit emotional as well. And so I want to make sure that I have those like very specific tools in my tool belt that I can Mm -hmm. pull out to help her when Mm -hmm. she goes into her trauma response or when she has questions or, you know, I just never want to make her feel um, like she hasn't been heard or that she's not valued or that she doesn't matter, you know? And I think that's like such an important piece to, to, have the children guide the way and teach you what the experience is like for them versus like, I'm the adult, I know everything. Like that's not going to help a child feel seen or heard or validated in their experience. Yeah. So I I always, um, you know, really encourage people to like get curious, like what is this like for for them and give them the space to ask questions and guide the conversation. And I I think sometimes people think that like having these big, heavy conversations with children have to be like this, like formal sit down. I'm going to tell you like everything under the sun about death and grief. And it's not like that. It's, it might be a one-liner, a two-liner when they ask a, a question that's related to death or grief And then they're moving on to another topic that's like totally unrelated. It could be like, hey, what's for dinner tonight? Or it could be like, hey, do you want to go play this game? And I mean, it's a little bit of like a whirlwind as an adult. You're like, wait, what? We're we we switch topics. I I wasn't really it's it's a little bit of like emotional whiplash. Um, But um, but yeah, these these are small conversations that happen over time. So in some ways it kind of takes that pressure off of like having to have all the answers right away. There, yeah. there are these little snippets that over time they're putting these puzzle pieces together and it all makes sense and they feel supported, but having your child kind of guide the way with what they need and, and asking, asking for their input about things like, I wonder what that's like for you. Or, you know, some of these things that we, we would probably do with, you know, adult clients or adult friends. Um, but you know, it's the approach might be a little bit different with a a child. We're not sitting there and asking, so tell me about you, how you feel. Like it's, it's not like that. Um, cause that's just not how kids process things. They, they mostly process things through play and perhaps through, through books and being able to find characters that they relate to or storylines that they relate to. So, uh, the approach is slightly different, but really it comes down to letting letting them guide the way and letting them teach us about you know what things are like for them because it's going to be different for everybody yeah i really like the term emotional whiplash by the way yeah um, 
that like really hit me because that's kind of how, I mean, that's exactly our experience with Brielle in terms of like, sometimes she'll just, I'll be driving in the car and she'll be like, Hey, I really miss my sister. And then she'll start crying and then she'll ask me questions. And I'm like, Whoa, like this is okay. And so I just try and stay calm and like talk her through, you know, okay, we could talk about it. I answer her questions. And then suddenly she really will just like out Mm -hmm. of the blue be like, can we go to a playground Mm -hmm. or, you know, something really. And I'm like, okay, we're done. Like, yeah, such an intense experience as a parent. Um, and so I, I appreciate you saying that because then I know that that's normal. That's like, yeah, the- you're not alone in that. That is definitely <laughs> normal. And it seems like almost all of the time it happens in the car or at bedtime. Yeah. Those are like the two places where it almost always happens. Sometimes there are other places, but like those are the prime spots because kids are, they're sitting there in their thoughts. And those are the times and the spaces where there's, there are not, you know, a million distractions going on. You're not making dinner. You're not like trying to pick up the house. Like it's that dedicated time where it's one-on-one and they can ask these, these big questions. So I, and I know that catches people off guard a lot of times because, you know, you're, you might have like a five minute drive down the road or a 10 minute drive down the road. And you're like, well, this is a big talk. I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know if I'm in a place to talk about this right now. And and sometimes it's okay to say, you know, that's a really great question. Can we talk about this later? If you're not in a space emotionally to talk about that right then, you know, give give that the space that it needs too. And it also gives you a moment too, if you're not really sure what the right thing is to say in that moment where you can think about it a little bit too. So, you know, you can feel it out, whatever, whatever feels best for you in the moment. Um, you know, obviously it's, if if we can give them the answers right then and there, that's, that's great. But sometimes we are not in the space to be able to do that and do that in a way that is supportive for them. So speaking of being in a space, right. Um, I think one of the hardest things that I've noticed, and I think probably needs to be asked about is like, obviously, usually I should say a family is grieving together, right? Mm -hmm. So like the parents are also grieving and then there's the siblings or the children that are grieving. When the parent is in a headspace that is very difficult and the child brings something up, is there, how much do you let the child see? How Mm -hmm. do you like approach? Because like, I feel like our own emotions can kind of get in the way sometimes. And I don't know how much of that is appropriate versus not appropriate. How do you suggest handling something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, instinctively, a lot of people want to hide their emotions from their children. They feel like, you know, I want to protect them. This is too much for them to see. When in actuality, it's it's usually really helpful for kids to see a wide range of emotions from their parents or caregivers. It one normalizes that these are feelings that we all have as humans to it gives them permission to express the same and it's it's a way to, to to model that as as a parent and and being able to label you know what these emotions are why you're feeling them that can be really helpful for kids to have a, you know a good a good model of this and then when they're feeling these really big emotions they don't have to stuff them down they they see from their parents that, okay, yeah, these are really uncomfortable or difficult emotions, but it is okay to let them out. And I've seen my mom, I've seen my dad or whoever it is showing these emotions in this way and getting them out in, you know, whatever healthy avenues that they see from their caregiver. And it's it's a way for them to learn and, and grow with that emotional intelligence as, as well. So, you know, there's there's definitely a balance. Like, you don't want to get to the point where your kid is the one who is providing that emotional support and being your caretaker. And like, you don't want them to carry that burden, but you, you also want to make sure that they are exposed to the wide range of emotions that, that we all have. And I, I just think of, um, you know, an example from my own personal life. I, um, Every year we we decorate our our Christmas tree and I have a bunch of ornaments on my tree for my daughter who died during my pregnancy and I I get emotional putting them up most of the time um and one one year at the time I think my my daughter was 3 
I had, you know, little tears streaming down my eyes and my three-year-old came up, gave me a hug, gave me a kiss. She's like, why are you so sad? And I just explained to her, I said, you know, I'm really missing your sister and we have a lot of things up on this tree that make me think of her. And it just makes me sad that she's not here. And just having that dialogue really opens that conversation up that, you know, it is okay to have these feelings and it is okay to express them and we move through them together. So it's, um, you know, it's definitely a balance and a dance and it, you know, it's a little bit of trial and error too with our own children, because some children are able to, you know, witness and take that on more than others. So there's not any one like recipe of like, this is the perfect amount that you can show your, your child. It's, it's a lot of trial and error and just figuring it out as you go. I I wish I had like a specific recipe of like, this is what you can do, but that's not life. (laughs) No, that's helpful though. I mean, I think, you know, I felt like some of the most powerful moments for me as a parent with Brielle were when I did admit to her, you know, yes, I'm missing your sister too. And then I start to cry a little bit. Yeah. Um, she'll give me a hug. You know, we kind of chat about it. Um, and she usually says, are you okay? And sometimes mm-hmm. I've said to her, not right now, but I will be. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of added that in. So it's kind of mm-hmm. nice to hear that that's an okay thing to do because sometimes it's like, I can't yeah. not do it. I mean, it, oh yeah, it, you know, the tears just come sometimes. I mean, there's just emotion that comes out because you miss your kid. And mm-hmm. um, I have kind of just questioned afterwards, like, oh, did I do okay? But I mean, I do feel like we've had some really powerful healing moments together yeah. and some connection moments from that. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that that was yeah, it sounds like you're doing amazing things with with keeping that open. And um, the the one thing that if people are worried that like their child is trying to like take on that supportive caregiver type of role for their parent is to to say exactly how you're feeling and why you're feeling, and then also put in a little a tidbit about it's not your job to yeah. help take care of me. I yeah. am, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can just put that in there and say, I'm, I'm taking care of these feelings by, and then I like that. Here are like some of the tools that you're using, whether it's, you know, talking to other families who have been through similar things or reading or what, whatever is in your like coping toolbox, you can share that too. And it helps them to learn like, okay, like these are some ways that I can, that my mom's moving through it. And maybe I can try something, something similar. Or maybe she can teach me some other ways that I can move through these difficult emotions. I like that. I'm working through it by, yeah. I like that. I feel like that would be really helpful for kids, obviously of a certain age that can, you know, know mm-hmm. what you're talking about when you're talking about coping. But for Brielle in particular, I feel like that'd be really helpful. So that's a good little hint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know sometimes in kids, grief can also present as other emotions, mm-hmm. like, you know, anger, acting out, um, just kind of some passive aggressive stuff. Like as a parent, how do you address that? And how do you even know that that's really, because obviously toddlers can also act out from other things. So like, how do you name that and then handle that? Yeah. So a couple of things here. So, um, so for, for young children, the grief comes out in a very behavioral way often. Um, so their whole world was rocked, their routines changed, their parents or caregivers, have a very different um, presentation emotionally, and they're trying to put the pieces together. They're trying to figure out what is happening, why does everything feel different, um, and and often that will come out with more meltdowns or outbursts. It might come out with changes in their sleeping or eating patterns, which then like it's this cyclical um, piece because of course, like if a young child is sleeping or eating in a different way, like that then becomes some other, you know, they might become like that hangry version of themselves that they just, you know, can't get through things, um, you know, as easily. So, so there's, there's that piece of it. It's just, they process things in a very behavioral way. And that piece of like, how do we help them through this? Um, there are a lot of different ways and what's going to work for one child is, going to be, every child's going to be different. Um, so I, I think, um, 
you know, again, like naming those emotions as they are coming up, not only with yourself, but with them um, and what it looks like or feels like in their body too. I think sometimes that can be something that they don't even recognize like what this feels like for them. So they might be mad and stomping and their face is getting all red hot and their, their heart's racing and just like helping them to identify those things. But often there are all of these uh, emotions that are coming up that it's not necessarily, you know, that emotion, but it's what's going on like underneath that iceberg. There are so many other things going on underneath. So like, sure, it might be they're they're displaying a whole bunch of anger, but that might not really be what's totally happening. The anger might be, I'm confused about why my schedule is totally different. It might be my um, my parents are not as, you know, emotionally available to me right now. It might be, I feel very different from my friends right now. So there might be all sorts of different things happening that are contributing to that that anger that they are feeling and experiencing and that outburst that they're having. But it might really, you know, there there's so many layers to it underneath that like anger iceberg right there. So um, hopefully I answered answered yeah, your no. question with that. I think I went down a couple different tangents. <laughs> oh, that was very helpful, actually. Um, Speaking of like changing of schedules and all that stuff, I also just really wanted to touch on specifically in this EB community. Um, sometimes grief happens before a loss, mm-hmm. right? So like sometimes there are siblings living in a household with a medically complex child and mm-hmm. the parent's attention is very diverted um, or you know, they have to see their sibling go through some really hard things. Like there's a lot of other types of grief that happen within this rare disease type of area. Um, And I I guess I kind of wanted to ask, like, how do we best support not the people going through it, number one, because I'm sure the kids dealing with that medical complexity also probably Mm -hmm. have their own grief about their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then also the siblings that oftentimes get overlooked. Like, do you have any specific advice on how to handle um, or how to approach or how to support yeah. uh, children that are living in an active grief scenario? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I used to work in the hospital setting for um, like 14 years. I was in the hospital setting and siblings were like one of my one of the pieces of my work that i was like very passionate about and because they are often overlooked i mean the the child who is going through the medical diagnosis or the you know whoever the patient is they are typically the the primary focus making sure that they have services and supports and yes they they need them of course and there are also so many other people in that that family that need those supports. So those siblings absolutely need supports. They they need somebody there to help them process what is happening, to give them space to release and express all of the things that they're going through. So I think just having somebody there that is dedicated to helping them with all of those things, dedicated to helping to really even from the very beginning, like let them in to what is happening. So many times these these siblings are left in the dark and they're trying to put the pieces together of like, what is the diagnosis? What does that actually mean? And letting them in in the very beginning and helping them understand in a developmentally appropriate way, that really, you know, that involvement goes so far. I mean, it, every step of the way, just giving them time and space and involvement in the process helps them feel seen. And when we don't do that, that's when a lot of issues can come up and feeling left out. And, um, you know, obviously that can, that can play a role in how they cope with things in the long term if they feel like they were left out from the very beginning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I just think back on my own personal experiences and the times that I felt most seen were, um, Personally, me as the sibling, when my brother was in the hospital, he had cancer. Mm -hmm. And so we were on the cancer ward and um, 
they had like classes for siblings where you could like do arts and crafts and make things for your sibling or your parents or yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was something really nice. And then we had a couple of nurses that were specifically dedicated to helping us out. Um, And I actually still am friends with some of them now. That's awesome. uh, Many years later. And then with Brielle, some of the things that I think touched her the most were when like after Hallie passed or even when Hallie was here, um, we got a lot of medical supplies sent to our house and lots of donations of things. But sometimes people would include a small little gift for her or a card for her. Um, There was actually one friend that sent her a card specifically written to her and she would have us read that card to her like hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, legitimately, I remember her being like, can you read the card again? Can yeah. you read the card Yeah, because she feels seen. I mean, so much <laughs> so much of the care and the attention has to go to the person who is going through the medical treatment and those that are not going through it, and especially a, a child. They're like, what about me? Yeah. What about me? Like, where where is like my support? Like, who's going to who's going to recognize me? And I, I love that the example that you brought up with like the arts and crafts of like, you didn't just have to like make something for your sibling there because that could go very poorly. I mean, again, that's like, oh, this is just for them. It's not for me. Like, but you had the opportunity, you could make it for whoever you could make it for yourself. You could like, it could be a time where you just had that dedicated space to, you know, fill your cup and be with other other kids going through similar situations and it didn't just have to be related to like make something for your sibling who's in the hospital yeah no I liked that they gave us the opportunity because as the big sister I sometimes wanted to make something for my yeah. brother and then there were other times I absolutely did not so yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I think just giving that option to the kids um for me personally was very helpful and with Brielle, we've done a lot where um, she'll draw like family pictures and stuff. And oftentimes she'll include Hallie in it. And then other times she won't. And we just yeah. kind of let that be because, again, mm-hmm. it kind of fits that same description of like sometimes maybe they don't want it to be about the sibling because so much is about the yeah. medically complex child. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially when it's like a surprise diagnosis like this in the beginning. Like, I mean, as parents, there's just no way to plan for that. And mm-hmm. um, I think we often have, we oftentimes have a lot of guilt about how we had to handle it in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's nothing we could have done different unless we had had time to prep. So I like am giving myself grace. And I'm sure a lot of parents out there are trying really hard to give themselves grace, but like yeah. it's really hard when you know that your child had that attention ripped away. Um, you know, it's hard enough when you get a new sibling, but then when it's a new sibling mm-hmm. that requires all of mom and dad's time and attention, like legitimately, um, then it can be more of a grief situation as well. So I appreciate that answer. Cause I think that that's probably something the whole community struggles with. Yeah. And I, I think any bereaved parent has, has things and, and not even bereaved parents, any, any parent has things that they wish they did differently. And, um, <laughs> You know, hopefully we can all find the space to give ourselves grace and to um, let some of that go because we're all human. We're not going to do things perfectly and that we can we can go back and and see see what we can do moving forward and just have a conversation about what we wish we could have done. But, um, you know, we're nothing. Nothing's perfect. We're we need to let some of some of that go. I know it's tough. Parent guilt. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's tough for sure. It's tough. Um, I feel like I have a lot of hard questions coming at you. I'm so sorry. Sure. No, go for it. Uh, okay. So my next question then in follow-up to the one we were just talking about is if you are a child and someone in your family, um, won't be around much longer and people know that. So they have Mm -hmm. something terminal. Um, so you're pre-grieving. Yeah. Yeah. That anticipatory grief. Yeah. How do you suggest handling that? Do you like, is there anything that as a family you can do together to make that, I don't even like the word easier, but to help with that transition, I guess. Sure. 
that. Yeah. I, I think the one of the most important pieces is to have honest conversations with your child. Um, and and really like as as soon as you know about these things. So let's let's say somebody has a terminal diagnosis and they've been in and out of the hospital or they've they've had hospice coming into the house, having conversations about what the jobs of these people coming into the house or what, what is taking place at the hospital. And, um, I know those conversations can sound really scary, but it can be very simple, concrete information. That's, that's what's best actually is, um, you know, for example, if somebody's had a diagnosis for a while and they were trying to do, um, you know, these support services that are, were curative that were no, that are no longer working, we can have a conversation about that and say, you know, so-and-so has been going to the hospital to get these types of medicines or these type of treatments. And we thought that that was going to take care of, you know, whatever the diagnosis is and break it down like very simply. Like, so if, you know, if it's a, a cancer diagnosis, you can talk about how the, um, the cells in the body are not um, healthy cells and they are causing more problems for the body. So really taking it and breaking it down into the most simple language, the most concrete language, and then going from there to talking about how these medicines are not working anymore. The things that we're trying are not working anymore. So now we are, are switching gears and we're trying to keep this person comfortable. And what that means is we we probably don't have very much time left with this person here and and if you haven't had conversations yet uh, about death you you can bring that into the conversation too and say you know th- we think nobody knows for sure but we think they have x amount of time here with us nobody can give us you know a crystal ball and say exactly when that is but with that time, we are are going to, you know, make it, you know, what we really want as a family and and get their input too. Like what I know this is a very hard conversation. Are there certain things that you would like to do with, you know, this person uh in the in whatever time we we do have have left with them? So mm-hmm. yeah, these are these are big, heavy conversations and um Often I will lean towards books for these conversations and encourage families to lean towards books because these are very weighted conversations and having something that basically lays out some of this language for you, it takes that pressure off. So I'm a huge advocate of using using books that help set this up. And, and then questions can come up that, you know, maybe your child wouldn't have asked before or wouldn't have thought of, but it's like, these proactive measures that like address common questions that children have when somebody is going through a, a big diagnosis or or end of life care. Okay. And I mean, it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, vulnerability, openness, honesty, mm-hmm. um, concrete language. So being as, you know, developmentally appropriate in your language, but saying what it really is. I've heard that yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's like one that I will preach on all day and all night. I mean, people people want to soften things. They want to protect their kids. But in actuality, by not using the actual words of what is happening and the, you know, the diagnosis, if you're not actually using those words, you're creating more issues in the long term. So sometimes people will will want to soften things, soften things and say, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, let, let's say somebody is dying and, and somebody says, oh, they're going to go home or they're uh, like, they're, they're all these terms that people use that are really confusing to kids. And then it creates these misconceptions. So the, the most literal that we can be, and, and we can just stop and think for a second, like, would this have a different meaning? Um, what, what have they, what has been their experience with hearing these words before? Like often people will say, um, we lost the baby or, um, these type of terms and lost to most children, they lose their toy. They, they lose, you know, they play hide and seek. They go find them. Like these type of terms have a different meaning to them, um, with their experiences in life. 
Okay. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. And so it's interesting to hear you explain like the reasoning behind that. Cause I, um, somebody had said something about, um, when a baby is stillborn and somebody said, you know, born sleeping or something yeah. like that, and their kid had misinterpreted that and then was afraid to sleep. Mm-hmm. They were afraid that then if they went to sleep, they wouldn't wake up kind of yeah. thing. So, and, and people sometimes do describe death as like sleeping forever. Yeah. And then that can in turn create a lot of anxiety about sleep and yeah. kids thinking, well, maybe I won't wake up if, if I, um, you know, go to sleep at night. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's helpful too. Um, we have done a lot of conversation as Brielle has gotten older in terms of answering questions about Hallie's actual condition. And like Brielle saw a lot of um, wounds and, and wound care. And we, you know, we did most of it after she went to bed, but every mm-hmm. diaper change, she would see um, blisters and, and lots of things. And yeah. so she's still to this day, a little triggered by like bandages Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. So we've done a lot of talks about the differences between Hallie's skin and her skin and why those bandages were different and that it was genetic, meaning she was born with it. So yeah. have, you know, that kind of thing. So like, I think just that education in general, especially with, um, well, across the board, but also with like medical issues, like I, I like yeah. about the explanation of that. Cause I really do think they just want to know. Yeah. They want to know, they want to be included and, and we all, from young children all the way through adulthood, we all have fears of things that we don't understand. We have fears yeah. of the unknown. So once we know, then it it takes some of that anxiety away. It doesn't mean we're not going to have any anxiety, but it takes some of the anxiety away from things that were just confusing or things that they perhaps had misconceptions about. Yeah. I personally think the fear of the unknown is the worst ever, like across the board. Like I yeah. just, even as an adult, that's my... Like I would much rather you just tell me and that way I know what to do with it. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure children are very similar. Yeah. They, they want it. Just tell it to them straight. That's what they want. (laughs) Interesting. Um, You also mentioned books and Brielle has gotten a lot of books and one of those is actually yours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I know you have another one coming. So I just wanted to see if you would like to share a little bit about your two books. Sure. So um, the one that that you're referencing that you have uh, would be Forever Connected, and that is a super niche book. It's it's just for bereaved siblings, although I guess you could use it in some other grief and death situations. But the intended audience that it like really centers on is bereaved siblings. So within this book, there are four children who are going through their their grief process, and it really walks through these conversations that they are having with their caregivers and these common questions that kids have about uh, their brother or sister after they've died. So this book, actually, all of the questions and conversations that are being brought up are directly from conversations that have been brought up in my bereaved sibling group that parents have, have brought up to me that um, they're like, we just had this conversation. I don't even know what in the world to say. Can you help guide me through this a little bit? So these are real life conversations. And somebody reading this book that has never been through this situation, they might be like, huh, that's an odd way to like say that or phrase that. But these are actually conversations that are happening um, and and happening with almost everybody who has has gone through this situation. So it's pretty relatable on my end. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, I just really appreciate that book in particular because it is, there's not actually a whole lot of books out there for this specific purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot for grief in general. There's a lot for grieving parents. Mm -hmm. Um, But like we've talked about with everything else, I kind of feel like the siblings have not had as much yeah. attention in that area. So this book has been, really- yeah, I can only think of maybe about like maybe 10 different books that are in the same exact category. And a lot of those books are like a very introductory, like I have a baby brother, a baby sister yeah. who died and they're not here. Um, what, what goes a little bit deeper in this book is like these specific questions that kids are asking and it, it literally gives the language that a parent can utilize to address some of these questions. And then there's also this theme throughout the book um, that relates to the name Forever Connected in that um, 
these children are always connected to their brother or sister who died, and it shows the many different ways that they can feel connected, whether it's through, um, you know, certain signs and symbols from them or through having conversations or pictures. So it, it really beautifully illustrates the um, it really it comes from a, a grief theory of continuing bonds. Um, if I'm getting real nerdy about all of this, but um, but people don't really need to know the grief theory behind it. But that's that's where it comes from. It's it's a real thing that we we can continue these bonds and these relationships with um, people who have died, and that's very normal and healthy. So I just, I want to ask about your other book in just a minute, but I want to yeah. just touch on that for a second. Um, the first thing I'll say about the book that has been so helpful to me is exactly what you talked about. It actually gave me a script. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who felt really out of their wheelhouse here, like it was so wonderful to have that. That's been a really incredible resource. So just thank you for that. Hey, you're um, welcome. And then the second thing is I really like that you mentioned how these relationships can go on because I think in grief in general, and we've talked about this a little bit on other episodes of our podcast and we'll continue to talk about it. I think people expect it to just like be a phase, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, well, they're gone now. So then you just quote unquote, get over it. Yeah. And that's like not real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not. That's not real. It doesn't happen because they're a part of you. And so that love continues on. And I love thinking about that. You can actually still build that relationship specifically yeah. when I look at my own kids and I know you can relate to this mm -hmm. um, as a parent, what you want is for that sibling relationship to continue, even if one of the siblings isn't here. And so yeah. I love that, that, um, that topic and the fact that you're able to address that and, and kind of help people become aware that that is something that is good and healthy. It's not yeah. actually keeping someone stuck by allowing them to continue this relationship. Um, Absolutely. Brielle actually has a pillow that looks like Hallie and she takes it everywhere mm -hmm. um, that we let her, we don't want her yeah. to lose it. So we don't take it quite, quite everywhere, but most places she takes her Hallie pillow and sometimes she will talk to it or play with it and she'll talk for Hallie. So they have conversations back and forth. Oh, I love that. Um, and it's been, really amazing. And I actually had gone back and forth on whether or not to get it for her because I didn't know. And I've heard all these things from people like, you know, oh, you don't want to keep whatever. But I knew in my own experience, I was like, no, I really think this will be good for her. Yeah. And what you're touching on is exactly that she is able to create this amazing relationship with her sister and it keeps her memory alive for her. And I just feel like it's so beautiful as a parent to see her continue Mm -hmm. have that. Um, and actually I just posted on Facebook the other day. I'm getting a little emotional talking about this, by the oh, way, we cry on pretty much every episode. So <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> um, it might be coming. Um, but I posted on Facebook the other day that Hallie's pillow was laying on our sunroom floor and my one-year-old son came up and actually like looked at it, talked to it and then mm. hugged it. Um, like actually buried his face and gave it kisses. And I just, in my heart was like, you know, that's your sister. And so like, yeah. this is the environment I want my kids to grow up in. And so I just really appreciate you um, educating and informing society that that is a really healthy thing for yeah. these kids. It's not something that we should be um, stopping them. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think people who are not informed that this is a healthy thing get all scared. They try and like brush it away. I mean, uh, I, I certainly have many of those moments in my home too, where like my kids are talking to my daughter's ashes in her urn, or they have little stuffed animals that are like, they, they call them their, their Maggie piggies. And they, they have these conversations with, with her. And I think at first, some of my family members were very uncomfortable with that and either froze up and said nothing or like tried to move on to the next topic. And over time, I'm, I'm seven years out from my loss. And, um, over time with all the work that I've done and the conversations that I've had with my family members now, it's, it's not, um, it's not as uncomfortable. I'm sure it's still a little uncomfortable for them because they haven't lived it in the way that I have, but, um, but they they don't brush on to the next topic as soon as possible. And and it's helping them to be able to like open up their own mind a little bit too of having those relationships too. Yeah. I think it's so healthy. And it just 
again, like you said at the very beginning, let the child lead. And so it's not like anything that we force yeah. on our kids. It's just, you know, this is Brielle asked for the pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, and now at some point, if Evan wants one, we'll get him one. But, you know, this is you let them build that relationship just like they would do if the sibling was still here on Earth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to find out more about your new book, though, because I'm really excited to get it. So can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? It's, it's coming so soon. Um, so the newest book is called The ABCs of Grief, and I am so excited to get this book out into the world. Um, so for for listeners that aren't aware of the full story of this book, um, so I wrote this book about a year ago went through the whole process of getting it illustrated. I actually did a Kickstarter to be able to afford to do an offset print, which is like the most high quality print. It's what all the traditional publishers do. I knew I did not have the money in my pocket to do that without a little help. So essentially people pre-ordered books mm-hmm. so that I could have that up front to be able to afford to do that. And these books are so gorgeous. I am expecting to have them in a week or two. So um, at at some point in February, books will be going out to all those who pre-ordered. But this book walks through each letter of the alphabet to unpack the grief experience. And um, in doing so, it really validates the grief experience, not only for grief related to death, but grief in any capacity, um, any loss, change, change, or transition that a child is going through. So there are very few books out there that are um, really centered or appropriate for other types of grief situations, um, but this this book definitely fits the bill for any type of grief situation. And um, there are pieces of this book that break down some of these myths about grief, and it validates the experience that children have uh, going through the grief experience so they can really feel seen and heard. And um, I'm just really excited to to get it out there and see how people are benefiting from it and and hear from, um, you know, therapists and all, all the different places that it will be be utilized. I'm super excited. Honestly, yeah. it sounds amazing. And I love that it touches on all the different aspects and types of grief, because like I was talking about earlier, there's so much of that out there. I think people have this misconception that grief is just loss yeah. of a loved one, and it can be so many things. Um, and so I love that that's available to anybody yeah. or will be very soon available. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I still have, I have, I have pre-orders <laughs> up on my website. So anybody who is uh, watching, listening to this, um, they can go to my website and, and buy a book, whether it's in pre-order or if it's, um, totally launched and out into the world. Eventually it will be on Amazon too, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait just a tiny bit, um, first and go through, go through my website first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your website, I think has a wealth of information anyway, so people should be visiting it. I'm sure D, you will, put, you will be putting that in the show notes. Yes, we're going to put it in the show notes. It's uh, kidsgriefsupport.com mm-hmm. is the That's best right. way. Yes. Yep. And uh, yeah, all the links will be there. And wow. Yeah, it sounds like just such valuable information. Everyone can get a hold of all of the resources there. Yeah, yeah. honestly, um, I know we're kind of wrapping on time, but Jessica, like, your resources have been um, so incredibly helpful to me and my family already. I'm excited to continue to work with you further, but also just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on today. Yeah, of course. I know that there are so many families that are going to find this so, so needed and so helpful. Um, And it's just something that isn't talked about enough. Mm -hmm. Um, One of our main talks that we have on here is how way too much stuff is taboo. And we need to stop that because everyone Mm -hmm. just feels like they're on their own island. And that's a sucky feeling. So like, I just love being able to have these conversations. Like you said, it sounds weird to say that, but also it's so needed. And so many people have that like desire to talk about this stuff because they feel so alone. And um, so I think being able to have this, I do want to just say at the end, like to wrap this up, is there any just like overarching advice that you would give if somebody knows a grieving child, grieving in any way? So either they have, you know, a living sibling who Mm -hmm. is, Um, going through something hard, or they are that person going through something hard, or they've lost a loved one or whatever, 
Is there any overarching advice that you would give to someone on how to support that child specifically? Sure. Um, I think there are two things that I would say with like how to support that child. And um, we've we've gone, gone over probably both of these, but definitely one. Um, the one would be to follow their lead and um, just let them take the reins with things. And the second one is like help help them find supports, whether it is finding a support group or one-on-one support, like find help them find supports because nobody should have to go through this on their own. Uh, whether it is an adult or a child, the grief experience in its nature is a very lonely, isolating experience. I mean, some of the grief work you you do have to do alone. It's it's in your head, um, and you have to process that. But just because it is a lonely, isolating experience doesn't mean that you have to do it all alone. So help them find those supports, and that can look very different for different kids. I mean, sometimes those supports are are literally found in books. And sometimes those supports are found in sports and getting having an active avenue to get these big feelings out. So just just help them find something that works for them. And again, it's trial and error. It, it, what what might work when they're five is going to be different, you know, when they're five years older than that. So just Helping, helping them move through all of those different feelings through some some trial and error with all those supports too. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I know um, each phase kind of comes with new stuff. Yeah. Just kind of like continuing to get them that support as they move through each development. Each of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely some re-grieving that happens as they move from one developmental stage to, to the next. So, so, and, yeah. and it's never too late to get that support. I have many families who seek out my support services five years after they have gone through a, a death situation or, you know, sometimes even more than that. So it's, it's never too late to, to get that support because like you said, like this, grief we we carry it with us so we can we can get that support at any point in time that's helpful to hear for sure i honestly could talk to you for another hour (laughs) (laughs) i could talk to you for so long but we're going to do more of that individually um so i just again wanted to say thank you um for all of the advice and information you gave today i think it's super helpful um just greatly appreciated Thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a pleasure to talk. I yeah, I could talk for a lot longer about this too. It's it's obviously a passion of mine to be able to have these conversations. So, I appreciate the the platform to do so. It's so rewarding to know that we can all do something with the journey for a cure for EB. If you're asking yourself, but how can I help? then you've come to the right place. Wouldn't that feel amazing to know you were helping families just like Ann and Joe's? Helping families around the world. HallieFlies.com. That's H-A-L-L-I-E Flies.com. HallieFlies.com. Go to the website, make a donation. Every donation gets us closer. How else can you help? Share this episode with someone you know. We are more hopeful than ever that a much needed cure is in reach. 